Welcome to Glory Stories with Dr. Elizabeth Vaughn. Dr. Vaughn was one of the top eye surgeons in America and has traveled to many countries in the world preaching the Word of God. She also opened up an eye surgery center in Beijing, China, where she did free eye surgery on those in need. Dr. Vaughn will be sharing many of her personal experiences from God. In addition, you will hear of others that have known God in an intimate way and seen His miracle-working power. As you hear about how God has worked in the lives of others, our hope is that you will be changed forever. Get ready for God to heal you, deliver you, and transform your life as you sit back and enjoy these glory stories. Welcome to Glory Stories today. We're going to be talking about a, a woman named Catherine Kuhlman. Some of you may have heard of her. Some of you may have never heard of her. But she's one of the most phenomenal human beings I've ever heard of. Uh, she's impacted my life personally. She was born in, actually outside of a town called Concordia, Missouri uh, in 1907. And shortly after that, when she was about four years of age, then her family moved into the city of Concordia, Missouri, and that's where she lived most of her life. That's what she considered to be her home. So her father was a kind man and a loving man, and he he, he just thought Catherine was the apple of his eye, and, and she adored him, and uh, he was a good businessman. He made quite a bit of money, and a lot of times he'd take Catherine with him on his business affairs as he would go around the town, and she learned a lot about business from him when she was growing up, which ended up being a great advantage to her as in her ministry. Her mother, on the other hand, was a disciplinarian and pretty strict with her, and I'm sure Catherine needed that. Uh, when she was about 13 years old, her mother, she and her mother would go to this Methodist church. The father didn't want to go. He was really a backslidden Baptist and didn't really care about church in general or pastors or any of that, but the mother did. So she took Catherine to the Methodist church, and on this one Sunday, Catherine was really moved toward the end of the service. She was really moved on by God. <clears throat> so when the altar call came, then she ran down the aisle, and she threw herself down on the, on the first pew down there, and she was just sobbing and crying and crying. She really gave her heart with all of her heart. She gave her heart to Jesus Christ that day as a 13-year-old girl. Well, with time, you know, you know how it happens. You, the girls get more interested in the guys, and, and she was having more, her mother was having more difficulty controlling her. Let's put it like that. When she was about 16 years old, her older sister, who was 15 years older than Catherine, her name was Myrtle, and Myrtle came home for a visit. Myrtle had married an evangelist named Perot, and so uh, she had been traveling in tent evangelism with her husband, but she'd come home for a visit. And she said, why don't you let Catherine come with us in tent evangelism? And the mother didn't really want to do it. She felt like if she let Catherine go that she would never see her again. But Catherine had finished all of the formal education that she needed. And uh, finally, they decided to let her go. So at 16 years of age, Catherine hits the evangelism trail with her sister Myrtle and her husband. And he's preaching the only thing he knows how to preach, which is, which is repent and be saved. And so that's what he preaches every night. And they would go from one place to another. When they'd go to a new city, then Catherine and Myrtle would go with handbells and they'd ring the bells and walk down the streets and tell people about the tent revival that was, that was going to start in their city and attract people to come in. 
And he would let, uh, uh, Reverend Perot would let Catherine tell her testimony sometimes. So she'd get up and tell her testimony about how she was saved in this little Methodist church. And she would always tag onto the end of it a poem. She was a very demonstrative person. So she would tell the poem with, with gestures and, and great enthusiasm. And, and as she told the poem, you know, lots of people would love to listen to her and, 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 and listen to her and watch her as she would tell these poems. She was a real drawing point for the evangelistic team. And so uh, Reverend Perot told her, he said, well, you know, one of these days I, I'll probably let you preach. So Catherine busied herself at night. Anytime she had extra time, she'd busy herself studying the Word of God and preparing her sermon in case he ever called on her. Well, he actually never did call on her, but he found out that if he would preach and then he would let Catherine take up the offering, that people would give more money with Catherine taking up the offering. So that's what he let her do pretty routinely. So they continued traveling from here to there to there. Well, in one town, a small town in Idaho, uh, well, let me tell you one more thing. Another woman named Helen, Pastor Perot had, not Pastor, Evangelist Perot had hired this woman. She was a concert pianist, and he had hired her name. Her name was Helen, and so she joined that team. So it now was Evangelist Perot, his wife Myrtle, it was Catherine Kuhlman, and now Helen was part of the team, and she'd play the piano and and provide good music. So when Helen came on board, she and Catherine became good friends, buddies, if you will, and they were about the same height, and so they could interchange their clothes, and that was nice. They could have different wardrobes at different nights, and they became fast friends. So one night, or one day in Idaho, a small town in Idaho, one of the local pastors said, why don't you leave Catherine and and the, the pianist, Helen, behind and let them stay here and hold meetings for us. It seemed good to the young girls, and so they stayed there, and the Perots went on with their evangelistic tent. So now Catherine was so excited because she's now going to be able to preach her first sermon. And so she figures she needs to have a new dress to preach her new sermon. And she had it in her mind exactly what she wanted. She wanted a yellow dress with frilly, ruffly sleeves, and so, you know, she didn't have any money to buy a dress. And besides, she probably couldn't find one exactly like she wanted anyway. So she went to the place that was selling material. And she picked out the yellow material that she wanted. And she, she talked the storekeeper into letting her have the material without paying for it until they started their first meeting and she got an offering and then she would pay, them, pay for the material. And they agreed to that. They let her have it. Then she took it to a seamstress and told the seamstress exactly how she wanted it. And, the, and she told the seamstress that she would be doing this as unto the Lord, as a ministry gift. So the seamstress did it without any charge. So now she had her first, she called it a pulpit dress. It was down to the floor with ruffly sleeves. And so she was so excited to preach her, her first sermon. And of course, Helen was there playing the piano, had a great time in some little town in Idaho. Then they moved to another little town in Idaho and they, they found a facility and started having nightly meetings like six night, six, six, uh, every night they'd have it for like six weeks. They'd have the services every single night for six weeks and the crowd would grow and grow. People loved to hear Catherine speak and, and the, the anointing of God was on her life and so they were drawn to God because of Catherine. And, and the two young women were very attractive women, so then, you know, lots of men would come to the altar to get Catherine to pray for them. 
I don't, I, you know, only God knows their heart, but they did come to the altar and she did pray for them. So the, the, the meetings they were having were growing and growing. The whole downstairs floor was filled and two balcony areas were filled. And so after that, that they moved on to another small Idaho town. And it happened to be in the middle of winter and ice was on the ground. And the second day they were there, Catherine slipped and fell. She broke her leg. So she went to the doctor. He put a real heavy, big cast on the leg, and he told her, you stay off the leg for two weeks. Do you think Catherine Kuma did that? No way. She said, you know, in her heart, God had her here to preach, and by golly, she's going to preach. So she was standing, leaning against the pulpit with a heavy cast on her leg with a crutch under one of her arms, and she went on preaching every single night until the whole time was over in that city. Then they went on to another place, and in another city... They found a church that had no meetings, hadn't been having any meetings in a while, so they find one of the elders of the church and say, can we use this church and have meetings? He thought, well, why not? It's not being used for anything else, so why not let them use it? So he did. They tried to find a place to stay, and they found a lady that would rent out rooms. However, all of her rooms were rented out at that time. So what she did, she sent her son to clean out the, the turkey house, and Helen and Catherine slept there nights, two or three nights, in the turkey house until one of the rooms became available in her house. Then even in, the, even in the places where they stayed, a lot of times it was still cold inside the house. It didn't have heating, properly heating in the, in the bedrooms. And so Catherine would find one spot and be real still and one spot in the bed until she got that spot warm. And then she would turn over on her stomach and she would read the Bible. Sometimes all night long she'd read the Bible. So she was feeding on the Word of God and getting that into her. Of course, what you get into you is what's going to come out of you. So she was, she was preparing herself for what God had in the future. So one night in a small town, uh, after she finished preaching and the meeting was over, there just were a handful of people that had stayed at the altar. One of them was a, a young school teacher. She was at the altar, quietly praying, kneeling at the altar area. Service was over, so Catherine had come back, and she was sitting next to the, the young teacher's mother. And as they were sitting there uh, in, the, just in the audience area, even though the audience was, nobody was there, just Catherine and the girl's mother, but they were sitting there, and suddenly this young teacher begins singing with some unknown language in such ethereal notes were coming out of her and she was hitting high notes and low notes and beautiful notes and, and the mother grabbed Catherine's hand and just about crushed her hands and she says, that's not my daughter. My daughter can't sing a single note. But she continued to sing in some unknown language. Beautiful music was coming out of this girl who couldn't even sing a note. They were, st they didn't, they were just stunned. They were just stunned. They just sat there and listened. Catherine said she'd never heard such beautiful music in all of her life. Well, Paul talks about this, actually. He's, he, he says, Paul says in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, he said, I pray with my natural language. I sing with my natural language. I pray in tongues. I sing in tongues. And this woman, this young teacher, was singing in tongues, which meaning in tongues means she didn't know what she, was, what, what she was saying because the Holy Spirit had taken over her body and the Holy Spirit was singing 
in, in a song that the, that the girl was not even able to sing. It was a supernatural occurrence. That was kind of Catherine's first exposure to someone baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. So her ministry continued to grow and grow. At one point in time, Catherine came to a point in her life where she was in Portland, Oregon. She went to the end of a cul-de-sac and she completely gave up her will to take on the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. To her, she was being crucified. She crucified her own self-will. She crucified herself so that Jesus could have complete and absolute control in her life. Well, many years after that, she was back in Portland, Oregon again. But this time, by this time, the, the crusades were huge because the, the, the Lord started doing spontaneous healings in her crusades. And, and Catherine would, the Lord would show Catherine wh where he was doing the healing. She never prayed for somebody. She never laid hands on somebody. The Holy Ghost was healing people in various places. It, 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 actually, I met one of the men that had, had an experience in Catherine Kuhlman's ministry. His name was Captain Levere, and he was a police captain from Houston, Texas. He had cancer that had disseminated throughout his whole body, and the best medical science in the nation, and in the world for that matter, had been applied to this cancer, and they couldn't get rid of it. They couldn't control it. And finally, the doctors told him, there's nothing more we can do, and, and you're definitely going to die. There's nothing we can do. It's all over your whole body. Well, the church he went to really didn't believe in divine healing, that God would heal somebody in a miraculous way. But he heard about Catherine Kuhlman, and he heard that people were getting miraculously healed of impossible things by the hand of God in her meetings. So he decides, I have nothing to lose. I'm going to die anyway, so I'm going to go down there. He came to Dallas where Catherine Kuhlman was holding a meeting, and he was sitting way up in a balcony somewhere. And during the meeting, Catherine Kuhlman says, there's a man sitting right up in that balcony. He has terminal cancer. They've given him up for dead. And right now, God is healing that man. And as Catherine Kuhlman said that, the, the Spirit of God came all over Captain Levere, and he felt heat in his body, and he knew that something phenomenal had happened in his body. So she was calling for this man to come down and, and give testimony about what God had done. So Captain Levere came down, and he explained that he was dying. And now, I mean, he, he could walk. He could come down the steps. He could walk up on the podium with her, on the stage with her, and he felt good and strong and normal again, and he actually, he was totally healed. He went back to Houston and had all those examinations done all over again, and they said, you are healed. I, there's no explanation for this, because in the natural, this is impossible, but in, in, in the realm of God, nothing's impossible with God. God had healed Captain Levere. In another time, this happened, I mean, all of her services at that point in her life were filled, filled, filled with many, I mean, thousands and thousands of testimonies of people that were miraculously healed of all kinds of things. But she was now back in Portland, Oregon, many years after she had made that dedication of her life, actually crucifixion of her life. She was back in Portland, Oregon. Now she was up on a stage with a great auditorium, again, filled with people waiting for God to heal them, praying that God would heal them. And a, a man was, had multiple sclerosis, and he was in a wheelchair for over 10 years with this disease. 
God miraculously healed him of multiple sclerosis. And now the man was up out of his wheelchair and he was walking across the platform and all the people in the audience were out there applauding, uh, thanking God for healing this man. And Catherine said, nobody knows what God was saying to me while everybody was applauding. God said to her, he said, you know the scripture, you might know the scripture, but if you don't, I'm going to tell it to you. It's in Matthew 10, 39, 38, 39, right in there. And, and Jesus said, he who finds his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. That's what the scripture said. And Jesus said to Catherine Kuhlman on that stage, he said, you lost your life for my sake, and now you have found your life in me. Her life was now found in Jesus Christ. Catherine said, I found my life because I gave up my will for his will. That's the way she lived her life. She had been crucified to her own self-will, her own desires. And, and that's why God could do so many miracles through her because she had become nothing. Now I'm going to share something that, that's a personal thing in my life about Catherine Kuhlman. You know, I, I, I got to go to a couple of her meetings and I, I felt the atmosphere in her meetings. They were like no other meetings I've ever been in in my life. Not until this day have I ever been in another meeting like Catherine's meetings because the, 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 the presence of God was so palpable, such a holy presence in there. You could have heard Maybe there was 10,000 people in a huge auditorium. You could have heard a pin drop because there was such a holy presence of God and everybody was there reverently, quietly waiting. And, and Catherine Kuhlman would come out on the stage and she was always very flamboyant and had long flowing gowns and beautiful gowns. And, 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 and she would start, so a lot of times she would start singing a song and she had a deep voice. She, she didn't really sing. She's kind of like me. I can't sing either, but she would start singing, Alleluia, you know, and then the people that could sing start picking up the chorus. And as she was singing and everybody was singing, Alleluia, the presence of God would even be more augmented, stronger and stronger and stronger. I, I, can, I can remember her walking over to the edge of the stage she would walk over to the edge of the stage and she would look down over the edge and she said, you could look into the coffin of a dead man and anything you say to that man, he will not blink his eyes. In other words, God wants us to be as dead to our own will as that dead man was. He you could say anything you want to him. You could say, you're the ugliest man I ever saw. He wouldn't blink his eyes. You could say, you're a, you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and you need to be in prison the rest of your life. He wouldn't blink his eyes. He wouldn't blink his eyes at anything you say because he's dead. And her point was that's the way that we need to be, to be dead to ourselves and alive to Jesus Christ. So she, she had such a phenomenal miracle, but... You know, so I loved her from afar, just like so many thousands of people love Catherine Kuhlman. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I ask you to, to show me something that I can send to Catherine Kuhlman that'll mean something to her spiritually. Not just, you know, candy or perfume or something, but something spiritual. And so he told me to give her something very strange. 
he told me to take this one forcep out of my surgery set and, and that would be the gift to Catherine Kuhlman. Well, I didn't have any idea what this meant. She, needed, she didn't need a surgical instrument. She would have no use for it. And I didn't know what to tell her. And so uh, I, I didn't know and I waited and I waited and I waited. Finally, see, I wanted it to be a Christmas present. But finally, Christmas morning, he wakes me up early in the morning and he tells me what this instrument is for. So I'm going to read to you the letter that I wrote to Catherine Kuhlman explaining why I was giving her a surgical forcep. It's dated December the 25th, 1974. Dear, dear Catherine, I'm writing this before my children awake on this Christmas morning because I want you to be the first person in this house to receive a present on our Lord's birthday. Three weeks ago, I asked the Lord what you, what you would like for Christmas that no one knew about that would mean something and, and meet the desires of your heart. This 0.12 millimeter tooth forceps was his answer. Let me explain what it means. For the last four and a half years, I've used this very instrument on every single cataract operation that the Lord and I have performed. It's been indispensable to me. It has three teeth on the end that are 0.12 millimeters long. You'll need some means of magnification to even see these teeth well. They're used to grasp the tissue so that a needle can be passed through it while it's being held with firmness and gentleness. If the teeth, the teeth must be perfectly aligned to grasp the tissue perfectly. If they're malaligned one hair's breadth, they might as well be thrown away because they'll no longer grasp in an exacting manner. Do you get the picture? This, this forcep has these tiny, tiny little teeth. The purpose of them is to grasp tissue when you're doing cataract surgery or any kind of surgery. The reason this instrument and its function is so crucial is because it's used to close the wound after cataract has been removed. This means that the eye is wide open, there's no room for margin or error in the surgeon or in the instrument. If this instrument is not grasping properly, causing any pressure to be exerted on an open eye, the contents from the inside of the eye could be pressed out and the patient's eye compromised if not lost completely. All of this surgery is done through an operating microscope under high magnification. These forceps must grasp tissue one half millimeter thick. Did you get that? One half millimeter thick. And hold it firmly enough to pass a needle through it while exerting no pressure whatsoever on the eye. I want to stop there and just tell you, this was written in 1974. The way we were doing surgery at that time, you had to make a very large incision and then take the cataract out. But these days with modern surgery, the incision is T90 little incision, like two millimeters or so. So the, what I just read to you doesn't apply to eye surgery today. I don't want to scare you. It doesn't apply to eye surgery today. I love this precision instrument. It has served me well and been in the middle of many surgical miracles the Lord has performed. It has functioned perfectly for these four and a half years of use. And now I want you to have it on this Christmas morning it's intended to serve as a reminder from our Heavenly Father that you, to you, that this instrument has been in my hand like you are in his hand. You are exactly what he wants you to be. He did not want you to be a pair of scissors or an instrument for extracting the cataract. He intended from the beginning of time for you to be this 0.12 millimeter tooth forceps holding the tissue so the great physician can do the stitching and healing. Not many people in this world 
Think about yourself. I think about myself. Not many people in this world are so yielded that God can make of them exactly what he wants them to be. But you are. Our Father wants to give it, wants you, wait a minute. Our Father wants you to know on his son's birthday that he loves you beyond words and that it gives him great pleasure to have such a precision instrument as Catherine Kuhlman available for him to use as he wishes. That was my letter to her on Christmas Day, 1974. Now, I hope you got that, that she, she was such a yielded human being, yielded to God I'm talking about, where she didn't have a will of her own anymore. The only will that, she, that was exerted in her life was the will of Jesus Christ and that how rare it is for God to find any human being that's willing to lay down their life. That's what that scripture means when it says it, lay down your life it doesn't mean you're going to die physically. It means you lay down your will, your self-will, because all of us have a self-will, and usually that's the thing that creates problems between human beings because this one wants this one. Let's say the wife wants it this way. The husband wants it this way, and they don't agree because the wife has a will of her own. The husband has a will of her own, and so their wills are in opposition, and they clash their heads against each other, not just husband and wife, but people, people. You know what I'm talking about. But Catherine Kuhlman had laid down her will. She laid it down, and the only will that she had was the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now if you imagine the same scenario, here's the wife. If she could be totally like Catherine Kuhlman was and had no will of her own but was only yielded to the will of Jesus Christ, and here's the husband, and he had been crucified to his own self-will, and the only will that he had was the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think they would be fighting and having conflict now? No. No. They wouldn't be having fights anymore because their, their will would be one will. They would both have the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. So she sent a letter back to me, which I treasure so much, and I'm going to share to you with you what she said in this letter because it will impact your life. So listen carefully to this. She said, there's no limit to what God can do with one that will not touch the glory. God is waiting for one that will be more devoted to him than anyone who's ever lived. Did you get that? That means apostle Peter, James, John, David, Moses. He's waiting for one that will be more devoted to him than anyone who's ever lived, who will be willing to be nothing that Christ can be all who will grasp God's own purposes and taking his humility and his love, his faith and his power and without hindering, let God do great things. Let God do great things. I've been meditating on that for all these years. I got the letter back from her January of 1976. I've been thinking about that ever since and I've decided the goal of my life is just what that letter said to be nothing that Christ can be all, to be nothing that Christ can be all, to, to live a crucified life and not be a hindrance to him. You know, our self-will is a hindrance to him. He wants to be able to flow through us with no hindrance at all, where he can do what he wants when he wants, say what he wants, just like he did. The Father did it in the life of Jesus, and that's the same way he wants to do through our life. 
If we, if we can live a life like that, then we will see the miraculous happen in our life, just like it did in the life of Catherine Kuhlman, just like it did in the life of Jesus and all the early apostles. The will of the Father flowing through us as he did in the life of Jesus. You remember Jesus said, I do nothing except I see the Father doing it. I say nothing except the Father tells me what to say. I have no will of my own. I do nothing of my own volition, my own initiative. I do nothing of my own initiative. That's a high bar, a high goal to set. But I challenge you to set that as the goal in your life today and that you, you will crucify your self-will and let Jesus be everything to you. Christ in you, I'm talking about you, is the hope of glory. I'll see you next time. We hope that you enjoyed these stories of the glory of God. We believe that each story we tell will help build your faith and help to bring a miracle into your life. For more information about this program and Dr. Elizabeth Vaughn, visit her website at godsinstrument.com, her YouTube channel at Glory Stories Now, or write her at Elizabeth Vaughn Ministries Incorporated, P.O. Box 454, Argyle, Texas, 76226, USA.